Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, your Courtney will win. It's our annual Draw Me Like One of Your French Opens <laughs> show. Honestly, getting to use this episode title, probably my favorite thing about the French Open happening this year. <laughs> I have mixed Fair. feelings about it otherwise, but I'm Fair. very happy we get to draw us like one of your French Opens. Again, Courtney will win. How are you? Are you ready to do a Grand Slam again? Ready? Because I got to tell you, I'm not. I'm going to preface this episode by saying I'm. I my body is not ready. My mind is not ready. My soul is not ready. All fair. Yeah, no, I I hit a certain low point for some reason at about four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning this morning. We're recording on, on Friday, so, uh, September 25th, um, and it was media day. And I think I had just finished off uh, Halep, who was the first player through on media day. And then there was like this three and a half hour gap or something until like the next WTA player was coming in. And I was tired. And I was thinking about, oh, my gosh, like what the next two and a half weeks are, which is 2 a.m. starts um, on the West Coast and this kind of happening, which is like, yeah, just I don't know. I think that I can relate to tennis players at the moment insofar as there is a physical exhaustion about me at the moment (laughs) that I think that I can't tell whether or not that's being driven by the mental fatigue or if the mental fatigue is being driven by the physical fatigue. Here's how I was thinking about this, is that for us, pretty much, it's not that much less work that we're doing being offside than on, but we get none of the adrenaline or the buzz of being there. Correct. We get none of the things that make it fun, and we still get all the work. And which and again, and hopefully I do get a lot of work at the French Open. Hopefully I get paid now that it's hap- it seems to be happening. Although there were some close calls the last couple of days. We weren't we weren't entirely sure we'd get to draw anyone like a French Open. But yes, this tournament is apparently happening. And it's happening in a time of year when we've never had Grand Slam tennis before in late September, early October. This is a new, this is a lot of times when people, casual fans especially, check out of the sport. Uh, after U.S. Open, traditionally, this is the first time Serena Williams will play a post-U.S. Open tournament in a in a long time since 2014. Milestones. And the, and the way they did that is by putting a Grand Slam after the U.S. Open. So you know, it's a a lot of interesting things going on in the tournament. It's gonna be different. It's gonna be cold and rainy and pretty miserable. 66 over a like 10 day stretch that means it's almost always going to be lower than 66 and it's going to be like into like probably the low 50s and low 50s plus rain you want to play tennis in that weather you do not you do a heaviness i mean there's there's like a heaviness to the weather you know when it's hot in paris Mm -hmm. it's a heavy hot right like when we're there you know not a breezy place it's not a breezy place place. it just it just sits over the city soupy like a fishy yeah, and we've been in 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 Paris when it's been extremely cold as well. Um, you've gone to Bercy, for example, in the fall, and you know, like even that one year that was like the the frigid Roland Garros. It's again, it's this very heavy. It's 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 not dissimilar to kind of what ha- can happen in San Francisco, where our cold is very heavy. It it's it chills you to the bone. It doesn't matter how many layers you're wearing or what level of Patagonia technology fleece you've got on your body but it's just like it's chat it's it's teeth chattering and and paris can kind of get that way i have been to paris in october a couple times neither of us are there this year should point out we're both doing this running again from home if you couldn't tell 
but uh, you can tell our wonderful accents are still very American. But I have been to Paris in October before, twice for Bercy. Uh, both times I remember buying Halloween candy for people on Halloween when I was there in Bercy and being like, here, British people eat this. And they didn't really understand it. charming American So, so I are. ate all the candy myself. It was very brave and valiant of me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and Bercy, the October Paris tournament, is an indoor tournament. I mean, it's it's not at all trying to be outside it's not nice outside during bear sea usually it's it, i like being i mean i kind of would be would have been interested just from a purely novelty perspective obviously that goes for us open this year too but to be at the french open to be like what is it like being because we are on this very specific carousel on the tour corner where we're in the same places at the same time of year every time i've been yep. to australia nine times and every time is in like a specific part of their summer and like i've never been to australia in autumn i don't know what that's like there it could be lovely I, I, I really cool. don't know. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's true. It's true. And and what you were saying before about, well, I mean, we'll get to that in a second. But even just going back to your point about it being cold. And I was thinking today as I was going through a lot of the, the practice photos and things like that of all the players bundled up and mm-hmm. practicing in tights, you know, and vests and all this sort of stuff. I was like, you know what? The no fan thing has not bothered me this entire time as tennis had has returned it doesn't negatively for and this is just my own personal opinion i know that it matters to a lot of other people mm-hmm. but for me personally like i like watching tennis in silence i don't mind it at all it has not taken away from my enjoyment of the sport okay. but i was thinking about when they do take to the court and they do they are in tights and bundled up and wearing turtlenecks and long sleeves there's something about that visually to me that is really sad because tennis is a chasing summer sport. It is sunshine, it is heat, it is dripping sweat, it is all these things. Like, And so to the minute that they walk out there and they decide to play, like if some player decides to play in a mock turtleneck, probably it'll be Monica Nicolescu, I'll be like, you know, this does not bring me joy. This does not bring me joy. It makes me sad. It'll be Hubie, first of all. It'll be Hubie. It'll be Hubie. Hubie It'll totally be Hubie. Hubie will be like in eight layers because he's a practical king. (laughs) Yeah, so this is, we're going to probably reference a bunch during today's episode, the 2016 French Open, aka the Drench Open, which happened when it was cold and like Paris was flooding, torrential rains throughout the event. It was miserable. And I remember making the point back then too, look, like I, the other sport that I follow and played and stuff is hockey ice hockey and that's all for being like tough you know middle of canadian tundra like physical like you know sport like kind of lambo field aesthetic tennis is not that tennis has never been that tennis doesn't right. want to be that tennis is lovely day in the park picnicky it's a social sport. sport it's a social sport it's a on this level it's a prissy sport and i'm fine with that it's not supposed to be about who and this is not my concept of tennis about who can you know be bear grillsing out there <laughs> And it's not like, the revenant. <laughs> no, exactly. So I, I just that's not what anyone ever comes to tennis for is if for to be like who can overcome conditions when there are adverse conditions, even like just heavy wind. The tennis is bad and it's bad to watch. And so I remember the 2016 French Open, the tennis not being very fun, the whole term being miserable, and the fans not having a good time either because you're going to the tennis to have a nice time and sit outside and have a pleasant day and watch people hit the ball back and forth and you clap when you're supposed to. Yeah, like you're not there to, to show very... how tough you are or that there's any sort of like, right, again, sort of like soldier field rite of passage about it. Absolutely, absolutely not. No, it's, absolutely it's, not. it's a lovely, lovely, pleasant, balmy, easy, accessible sport. And yeah, so it being in adverse weather again this is the french open the backstory in the french open obviously people will remember it unilaterally parachuted into this time slot after 
after postponing from its normal spring dates when the whole clay season got wiped out, the French Open said, hey, we're going to go be in late October, or sorry, in late September, early October. And I think they pushed back one week further than they were initially going to also. There's going to be just one week before. I don't know. They, they are the ones who wanted this. And they, my, my feeling it, for this whole French Open, whatever may happen with them losing their initial plan for 20,000 fans going to 11,500, down to 5,000, down to currently 750, really, in terms of discretionary ticket sale fans. As you asked for it, French Open, whatever goes wrong here, like, you know, you you wanted this. This is like it's one of those like in France, if you don't just because you don't know what tartare means, it's not your fault when you get served raw meat. That's fair. Oh, it is your fault. No, no. (laughs) Let me say that just because you don't know what tartare means. (laughs) How do I phrase this? Just because you don't know what tartare means. It isn't not your fault that you get served raw meat. Is that right? How many negatives do I need in here? (laughs) I, you know what I mean, right? Like I know what you mean. It's just okay. it's flashing. It's a flashback to Tommy Boy. But like you know, if you want to get the if you want to know what like the quality of a T bone, you can look up a butcher's ass. But wouldn't you just rather take his word for it? And everybody's like, "What?" And he's like, "No, I got it wrong." <laughs> you, look, you look up the cow's ass. But anyways, um, but you'd rather take the butcher's uh, butcher's uh, yeah. word for it. Yeah, no, it's not. And and it. Yeah, it's just weird. I mean, I've as I've made it clear on the podcast, I've never been a fan of extreme weather tennis. I don't think that tennis isn't is an X game. It's not. It's I don't you know, it's a lot of why I don't really love best of five. I don't think that it's a marathon. I think that I like tennis being a skill sport. I like Mm -hmm. that it's, you know, played from first point to last point on a full tank of gas, relatively speaking. And it's just let's go. You know, I really like that. I don't I personally don't love when physicality determines like matches like best of three. You know, arguably, if you can't play two and a half hours, like in the hot sun, like certainly best of three matches can get physical. They can. They can. But like, yeah, yeah, like I just but so that's kind of philosophically where I'm coming at. And that's why, again, uh, there's so much that tennis visually can kind of make up for right now in the pandemic times of these events where you kind of forget that we're in a pandemic time where things are weird and you can just be like, Oh, this is just a great match and I'm fully absorbed and it's great. And the one thing that I really feel is going to pull me out of that is just, yeah. Seeing players play in tights, like, you know, like long, like to stay warm. It's weird. It's silly, but it always, it you're, it is a visual that always bugs me. Like as yeah, a ranker, I don't like always it. dresses for like, or at least for years, always dressed for a completely different climate than her opponent for some reason, always kind of like overdressed. It always just sort of like irrationally bothered me. I was like, why are you wearing sweatpants out here? It's not that cold. And it makes it just look visually weird. Again, I mean, these are tennis's roots. Tennis was a garden party sport in Victorian England. Like it's supposed to be, again, this is, it's admittedly prissy. I'm happy to embrace that word for tennis. Like it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. They're still out there wearing dresses and all white and collars and stuff. I mean, like we're not, we're no one's, no one's trying to win any Valor medals here playing (laughs) tennis. And if you are, you're at the wrong sport. I agree with you completely about the whole, like, it's not about being physical. Obviously people know I feel about this, but like best of five, like the Murray Del Potro Rio final, uh, in 2016 Olympics, which only went four sets, was like one of the longest 
Olympic events there was that year. It was like yeah. four hours or something. And I was like, this is just, this is not, should be a, this should not be a superlative for which tennis is aiming. Like we're the long sport. We're the one that takes forever. Like, again, that's just not, I want to watch cricket. You know what I want to see? We'll get to this later more too. I want to see guile. I want to see some nifty underarm serves from your Nicolescu's and your Sasha Bubbles's and whatnot. So that's what I want. I don't need to see, Right, like let's wait until one of us falls down and collapses and needs medical attention. I don't like no, it. Thank no, thank you. No, thank and, you. And no, thank honestly, you. honestly, we should have somehow we should have come to this conclusion, you know, after Nadal, Djokovic, Australian Open, like I did. cramping. I mean, so, yeah, I no, did. same here because I, I very distinctly remember. I can't remember wh- which point, like in the match, it was, but just watching some thirty shot rally where the ball was like like kicking off of the the like playing with incredible margin over the net and the ball was kicking because they could get so much height on the ball and they were just kind of like running around it just looked like tennis like being like molasses poured over it and it was just like body blows body blows body blows and that's just not what i'm here for like at all like i think that yeah i i would really i much prefer watching those two play out a best of you know not i'm not saying best of three best of five but just like a short contained match that has a kind of a time clock in a way a little bit more where they can just like go full force like from the get-go first point matters you know play i i just i like that more and so yeah it's i feel like that's and that goes towards a little bit like my growing not apathy for the next fortnight but it's i don't know i think that mentally it's going to be difficult in addition to physically just covering it remotely but mentally it's going to be tougher for me to get jazzed about the tennis we're about to watch compared to what we got to watch at the u.s open i think i agree with all of that i think i was i'm wondering now i'm trying to remember my own timeline on this i kind of think that the 2012 australian open is when i changed my mind on best of five i think that was what i don't it wasn't something i've had that for before that i mean people as much as people associate it with me it did start you were born point. this way yeah yeah i never, yeah. I never thought it was necessary but that's when i really yeah. turned against it and i was in the stadium for you know that match and for the best for the five set semifinal that Djokovic had against murray that year and there was like a long fetter and a doll one too anyway just enough enough but we don't have enough of this year or just in general is simona halep at the french open i feel like simona halep for being this is me segueing into the draw Simona Halep, only one-time French Open champion. Feels like it should be more. Just saying she's kind of the clay court player of her generation. Trying to get elusive second slam title here. Her draw is not great at all. Yep. Um, draw, I mean, it's, draw, it's draw, sneaky draw, bad. Draw loser. Draw you know what loser. I mean? Yeah. Sneaky. Uh, I don't, yeah, think it, it, I don't, I don't even know if I go as far as say it. loser, but I would say that it's, it's, it's sneaky bad because based on form of the players that are in this section of the draw outside of Vondrosheva, the dangerous players that we circle have not necessarily done well kind of the last few weeks. But if they do touch the form that we know that they're capable of, then this is a draw of just kind of like like the ghosts of Christmas past for, for Simona, of just a lot of people who have given her some bad beats with games that that she has struggled with and so yeah that's why i think it's sneaky bad i think that on form she's like the on form player like it's not even close let's be clear simona is as clear a favorite to win this tournament as we've had at a women's grand slam in a while in a long while i think that's fair to say i mean she comes in having won prague having won rome she's number one we all think she's you know 
clay is her best time and she's looked healthy and everything she skipped the u.s open obviously she wasn't there didn't take a loss there didn't play cincinnati either skipped the whole north american swing and her first round against cerebus tormo is not bad at all and then gets uh the, the one uh, first one i circle is jill tykeman who has been playing really well has been fast rising um she played really well in the states like in lexington but past that she hasn't actually done that much i'm just saying like okay well just on form just like she and you know uh begu hallett played in the semi-finals of prague i think if i if my memory serves correctly mm-hmm. so yeah i mean but i mean but this is the thing is like we know how good teichman can be on clay and and how dangerous she could be so yeah that's not an ideal second round match if jill teichman gets through there and then third round could play nisimova who knocked her out in the quarterfinals in an absolute destruction yeah. of Simona Halep. And uh, and Halep was almost going to play her last week in Rome. It was going to be either Anisimova or Yastrzemska, I think. And Halep said, like, yeah, like, I would love to get my revenge for that that loss, you know. I love WTA players openly talking about revenge all the time. It's oh, yeah, wonderful. it's always, it's great. So, yeah, so Anisimova, but Anisimova has not played anywhere near the way that she was playing in 2019. So there's that. And then potentially Vondrosheva or Yastrzemska, in the round of 16, and Vondrosheva is 2-1 and one against Halep, won their last two matches, including mm. at the French Open, um, I believe a few years ago. No, no, Rome. Rome. She beat her Rome. Rome last year. So there's that. Vondrosheva last year's finalist, we should point out. Yes, who exactly. Starts against, and who's playing well. Yeah, who's played, playing who's, who made semifinal better. Rome. Yeah. That match against Pliskova, I mean, she uh, that was the one match I saw, which was not her bet. Obviously, she lost, but she's... She looks comfortable again. You sort of watch and you're like, oh, I remember, I remember you winning matches. Because I got to say, like, Marquetta's performance in that French Open final last year was so bad yeah. that it really did leave like a bad taste in my mouth. I was like, oh, like not totally but like, oh, like, oh, this is bad. Why is, why is this in the final? And then remember, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember the six matches before it wasn't that bad. <laughs> so, Von, you know, but Von yeah. is one of those players that I love it when she's picking apart players. I don't necessarily love watching her when she has to scrap and play like a B or C game to beat players. Mm. So like before that Pliskova match, which was okay, she could have played a better first set, but Pliskova was like on fire in that match and was on it. But in the quarterfinal against uh, Mertens, Vondrosheva took Mertens apart. And I felt bad for Elise because it was very similar to, oh no, was it Mertens or was it? No, that Mertens was Pliskova. It was Svitolina. Yeah, Joshua Fiddly, beats Fiddly Fiddly destroyed. Yeah, destroyed. yeah, and um, and she just completely took her apart. And I just remember thinking, like, that's the Marquetta that I like. She just was in full control, barely moving, standing in the middle of the baseline, doing whatever she wanted with the ball and hitting that drop shot perfectly. And it was fun. There's just something about Von Joshua's game that is so trolly to me in in an era in the era of like hitters and. And 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 defenders, she's like right in between. But she, ha- but she's an artist out there. But if she, if you catch her on a bad day, it looks bad. Yeah. And when you catch her on a good day, you're just like, oh my god, this is the best thing. So it's it, yeah. So she's there potentially as an opponent for for Halep. And then you've got Conta in there. You've oh, got. On, you're, you're, you're moving on to the next eighth. I, w- I wanted to. Uh, okay. Before before we move out of this little oh. <laughs> eighth of the Hallow draw, I wanted to talk. Well, well, well I don't know what you think I'm going to say. I say several things here. Uh, first of all, shout out to uh, Sue Shea, who's in here, coming back, missed her desperately. Seven months without her, I don't know how I survived. Jeannie Bouchard is in here too as a wild card. Yeah, Jeannie made the Istanbul final during that second week of the U.S. Open. 
uh, could have some momentum. Interesting dealings going on with how, like, apparently it was a... Which I did not know about that. Like, I did not know that, like, the Federations actually were, like, so brazenly doing this. Yeah, yeah. Kenneth Kenneth Canada consulting with the FFT to get this wild card. Yeah, you can explain it. I I didn't That's basically all I know is that basically Tennis Canada went, you know, to bat for Jeannie to get her this wild card and has had deals for a while, I guess, now with the French Open in terms of giving reciprocal wild cards to French players into Montreal, I think specifically. I think I've always I've noticed before there have been French wildcards in Montreal, but I always thought it was kind of like a Francophile, like, you know, thing. Like, hey, we speak French, you speak French, uh-huh. Like, let's let's party. But uh <laughs> apparently it's a little more formal than that. And so Bouchard got her, you know, Federation assisted wildcard. Yeah, I think I think McMark Masters up in mm-hmm. um in Canada was reporting that for TSN and it was some sort of trade basically like Bouchard and I think Layla Fernandez got a doubles wildcard. Yeah, with a French player. That's right. With a French player, uh, which made me kind of like, I was like, huh. And that kind of made me think, oh, I wonder if this is also part of the deal. But it was something like a flip of like Mladenovic getting a singles wild card into Rogers Cup and also a men's player or something like that getting a, yeah. a singles wild card. While, while yeah. we're here, let me just say the last two Grand Slams, US Open and French Open, there have been no traditional reciprocal wild cards between the Grand Slam nations. Yeah. And I am all for it because it frees up wild cards to do more interesting things with. You get to give them to your Parankovas, your Istanbul finalist Bouchards, your Kim Kleisters at the U.S. Open. So bad because I think they just go to players who do not enhance the tournament at all. Like you don't need another American and an Aussie at the front in Paris. They add nothing to draw. You don't need an Aussie and a French person. And you know what I mean. Yeah. The whole the whole thing is they no, just totally they just don't value add. I I'm I'm very against them and it's collusion and, and rich getting richer and bleh, I want it gone. I, I, I agree gone. with you with I, I agree with you with that, which is that. I would prefer, and wild cards are wild cards. You know, the tournaments can do whatever they want with them, like whatever. But I definitely prefer my wild cards to be ones where you look at them and you say, I understand how that benefits the tournament that's about exactly. to happen. Exactly. Not this is extra money that I, one of the four federations, has in my back pocket to give to locals as part of some grander scheme oh yeah yeah of you compensation right like, you know what i mean like, i don't want, I don't like, like that i don't want it being part of like their boosting of like hey uh, let's throw out a name to be co- totally unfair to somebody hey um uh mitchell kruger or i don't know like as part of your usda support package we're gonna give you a us open wild card like yeah, i don't, I don't want like that. that that's i, I agree like that. with that completely what i do like though also to finish out this last section i do like that we got a first round match between diana yastrzemska and Daria Gavrilova, who has been a noted follower of Yastrzemska's on Twitter, observing her various hijinks over recent months. I will try to watch that match. That could be fun. That could be a lot of fun. And Gavrilova like tweeted, like, I knew I was going to get her. <laughs> I love, I mean, big shout out to Dasha Gavrilova, who is low key, or maybe high key, I don't know, like one of my faves, just as a human, because she just, she loves mess. She will get into the mess. Mm-hmm. She will be a part of the mess. She doesn't care. Like Dasha is so great because she's just so like whatever. She's messy without being messy, but not problematic. Oh, a hundred percent right. Yeah. yeah, but I don't think that Dasha's messy at all. I just think that she appreciates when mess is happening. That she's fine, yeah. like like being like pointing in the corner. She's being popcorn. Like, <laughs> she's popcorn gif. Yeah, she's popcorn gif. Exactly, yeah. and like openly so. Yeah. Like it's not secretive. Like I'm just gonna like somebody's tweet who said a thing you know like trying to keep it on the down low like saying something without saying something like mm-hmm. dasha just says it and yeah. and so yes she's she's made a few cracks about about releasing statements and uh 
And yeah, and then said that that she was talking that morning of the draw, she was practicing with Ali Risk and said, I bet you anything that I will I will draw DY in the first round. And there it is. I love we have another DY too. And I thought it was like Donald Young. I was like, oh yeah, no, it's crazy. Yeah, okay. But we'll see. I mean, I mean, Yastrzemska obviously playing well enough. Heavy favorite in that match. Gavrilova sure. coming back, which is great yeah. to see her back on tour. But uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have an eye on it. Did you notice that at the, I believe it was the 100 K, I forget which, Saint something, Saint Gauden, Saint Malo, whatever it was, whatever the Harun K was this week, or last week, or maybe two weeks ago, uh, Daria Gavrilova was playing against Ekaterina Makarova, but it was a different Ekaterina Makarova. Oh, there I There is do a know second yes. Ekaterina Makarova out there. I, just I know that watch. there's a second one, but I didn't yeah. see that they had played each they other. Played but each yes, other. I knew that there was a second one. I got a message one. from somebody like, oh my gosh, Gavrilova gets Makarova. And they're like, but wait, it's another one. It was, it was fascinating. There we go. If you thought Joao Sosa and Joao Sosa were confusing. Please there welcome both Ekaterina Makarovas of Russia. Second eighth here includes one of the best first round matches. And then everybody circled. I think the best, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Number nine seed Joe Conto, last year's semifinalist against Coco Golf, playing in her first French Open main draw, uh, which is hard to believe because she's been around, it feels like, for a while now. But obviously, French Open got moved. So this is her first one. How do you, just before we get into this whole quarter, how do you see this match specifically? I think it's. I think it's pretty. I can't. I have a tough time sort of reading this one. I think, I think it's an interesting matchup. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting matchup because of just game styles. It'll mm-hmm. be you know because Joe's obviously going to take cracks and try and be aggressive. And Coco has what is so exciting about Coco is not unlike, kind of like what was, what is still, but what is what, kind of got people very excited about Sloan, which is that Coco can play different game styles. So she she can play. If she needs to back off the baseline and and be more defensive and put balls in, she could do that. And if she needs to play a little bit more aggressive, she can do that. She's getting better at that. Um, so that'll be so it'll be super interesting. I'm really really curious how it goes down. I think across the board, the Brits got hosed, uh, like on, on every draws, level yeah. on both draws, which is like, I feel bad for the Brit the Brit pack the our our press colleagues because. Things could be very dire by day like three <laughs> for them. And a lot of them um, are making the trip to Paris and yeah. are dealing with all sorts of headaches involved in that and the return quarantine and stuff. And it's it's tough for them. Yeah, it's rough. So, yeah. So I'm very, very interested in, in Conta Goff. And that'll be on Sunday. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, we'll all be able to tune in and pay attention. And the winner of that gets potentially Camilla Giorgi, which is just never easy. And I don't think ever fun for anybody to play Camilla. This section Ever? is this section is like pretty loaded. Like there's a yeah. lot of like I mean there's no there's not that many like top top line names outside of number five Kiki Burton, who so has not had a great resumption, but I mean, it's she still... played one event. She played two, <laughs> right? She played Rome and she played or uh, Strasbourg? Did she was she in Rome? Oh yeah. She, wait, was she? Yeah, she was. Yes. Yes, and she did play Strasbourg. Yeah, dealing with a little bit of an Achilles injury. Yeah. Those are apparently. going around. What is that? What if On clay it happens recently? a lot. And, and Achilles, for Kiki, I mean, both Serena and for Kiki, had it and Dominic Team had it. And now Kiki's got it. I mean, for Kiki, it's a reoccurring injury. Yeah. So it's a it's a thing that she's had to deal with quite a bit. And it was probably a good thing that she retired in her match um, against Ostapenko in Strasbourg to kind of rest it. Um, and it's just, again, so frustrating if you are a appreciator of Kiki Bertens's game, which I am, that, you know... Theoretically, she would have had all this time to practice on clay, to shore up, to be ready, to make that assault on Roland Garros, a title that I feel like we all believe she deserves. Yeah. And she arrives 
and it's rainy and it's going to be wet and the ball and they have a new ball that doesn't kick up. Uh, so her kick serve is negated. Her heavy spin is negated. And she's drawn into Simona Halep's quarter. I'm just like, oh, I will say, though, Kiki, Ivanovich, uh, sorry, Kiki Burton's. Ooh, let's keep it. Sorry. Apologies to everyone involved in that sentence. Uh, Kiki Burton's semifinalist 2016 French Open. She can handle the wet, heavy stuff. She did it. She's ah, a big, point. strong gal. She made a breakthrough there. That was a good run for her. I'm not. I actually think these conditions are pretty favorable for her. And if if things go very well for her and she gets into a uh, that kind of conditions uh, quarterfinal against a Halep, I, that maybe favors Kiki. That maybe tilts things a little bit in be. Kiki's favor if we do get that kind of thing. But her road there is not easy because she can get Irani second. Irani, who'd be a nightmare to play at any situation, and then Pavlyuchenkova or Kuznetsova third round is not easy. Or Siniakova, who beat Os- Osaka here last year. And then your Kantas, your Sakaris, your Shelby Rogers also, who did very well at that 2016 yeah. French Open. She made a quarter there too. Another sort of strong... That's what I remember about that 2016 French Open is how... And we don't know exactly if the conditions will be identical or like that drenched and they'll play through the rain, which is also a big issue. In 2016, so they kept playing through rain. They probably shouldn't have. But things got tilted to whoever the stronger physically player was started yep. winning. So like Stoser beat Halep. Uh, Shelby Peronkova well, she- beat Peronkova beat Radvanska was the other one and Radvanska was like dominating that match and then it started raining and it completely turned so Aga was absolutely Aga devastated was, after that yeah, she, yeah, was she was compared to a 10k I remember effing livid <laughs> fun times uh, see, she's a good I miss seater. her <laughs> I miss her too I miss the thing about Aga this sounds terrible but what made her an amazing seether is Aga was somebody who cried when she was mad so if she was livid she just could not hold back tears like she with like tears of like rage. rage tears. Yeah, they were rage tears. It wasn't sad. It was like pure anger. Yeah. And it made it very unsettling to interview her in those moments. But the seething was just. But you wanted so, to keep going because she had so yeah. much to say. Yeah. I it just those, it, you could, you could well. sense it, you know, off of her. Yeah. We miss the you. Second, yeah. Even shout in Roland Garros. Shout out to I know she hates Roland Garros, I'm sure, but hates she's <laughs> no time for it. Uh Alina no. Svitolina is in the next quarter of the draw. She's the number three seed here. Another person who skipped the US Open. She gets a pretty workable first few rounds, I think. Starts against Varvara Gracheva, who's a lot of fun. People haven't seen her. Sort of a Russian Krunich, think of it that way. And then pretty nice second round against Zarazua, the qualifier from Mexico, or Jacquemo. Of France, and then one of Blinkova, Sharma, Inglis, or Alexandrova. Alexandrova obviously is a seed in there, twenty-seven, can hit a, a big ball. But I like the section for Svitolina a lot, and then she gets to a likely fourth round against a Contivate or a Mertens, probably Contivate first round against Caroline Garcia. Uh, maybe cir- definitely want to circle. You got your Bozkovas, you got your Kanepis in here too. I mean, there's obviously it's women's tennis. There's names to go around, you know. But I mean, uh, I, I I think this is a good draw for for Elena and until the fourth round and then it's going to get tough for her but she's winning these kind of matches at majors more often than not now against your Mertenses and your Contivates of the world I feel like yeah I mean I, I think that this section of the draw is really it's it's basically between three players who I consider like just like WTA workhorses like hard hat on and go to mm-hmm. work uh Spinalina Contivate and Mertens exactly. uh, Mertens the most wins on tour uh Spinalina just an absolute grinder into the final Strasbourg as we speak and then Contivate who's had a really incredible really really strong uh 2020 and it looks like she's about to break through and is comfortable enough on clay I it's an interesting kind of trying to match up that trio because I feel like Contivate has the power 
game to hit through these heavy conditions if she plays that way, but she has to like be focused and play that way and want to play that way. Uh, Mertens can kind of go back and forth, and I've been really impressed by how she's come back from the break in terms of how aggressive she's been playing. Um, and then Svitolina, who's just like a tough out. Like, I mean, yeah. she's not... You know, you you feel like when you look at this draw, and again, obviously, because we haven't talked about the, the bottom section, but, you know, it, there's a way where you look at this whole top half and you think Svitolina is the one that gets through. Past Halep, you think? If Halep's there. And Halep has issues against Svitolina on she clay. Does. We know yeah. this. Two, two Rome, Rome losses. We've seen what happens there, you know, and, and it's in Simona's own head, like in Rome. She was like, well, I'm not playing Svitolina in the final, so I'm already 90% there. <laughs> like, you know, so uh, she didn't say 90%, but like, <laughs> but that was effectively what she was saying. Um, uh, yeah, so so uh, that's what I mean about this Halep draw being like very mental. It's just like a lot of p- players who have handed her really embarrassing beats <laughs> that she could she, she might have to play. Uh, to get to the final. So, yeah. I think she'll so, relish that, though. It takes pressure off. Yeah. I and think so. and I have to say, she's, like, been really chill. She has been. She's been, like, the whole time she's been good. And even, like, I, I remember, like, being struck by her, um, even just her answer when I asked her at a pre-Rome presser about the Djokovic DQ. She was, like, super just, like, chatty. I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, I better not do that. Like, she was just sort of, like, she was by far the player who, like, engaged on that topic mode. So it wasn't, everyone else was kind of, like, well, all the other guys who I asked, basically, were just yeah. sort of, like, uh, you know, uh, feel whatever. But but Simona was just in a good mood. She's happy. I, yeah, she's there's, there's she's back with Darren, just... reunited, and, you know, feels yeah, so good, I'm and sure. did and a things. lot of hard work with Artie and, and the team mm-hmm. during the, the offseason. And one thing she said today that made me kind of pause a little bit was I asked her, you know, going into Roland Garros right now, obviously it's everything's so different and you didn't play the U.S. Open. So this is your first pandemic slam, you know. Uh, So this is all very new. How different does this feel? And she kind of went through the litany of expected answers. But she's also but she also was like, but also I've been practicing on clay for five to six months. Mm. Like I've never practiced on clay for that long. Like, you know, and so in terms of her comfort level and and all that sort of stuff but she also said you know the cold weather isn't making her very happy and we've seen in the past that cold weather does impact her physically she has a she has a back issue that tends to flare up when it's cold i've seen it in indian wells night sessions in beijing in wuhan um when it can get cold so that's something to kind of keep an eye on but yeah she's been she's been very relaxed which I don't know. Every once in a while, you, you kind of take a step back and you look back on Simona Halep's trajectory and you're like, good for you. You know, I mean, like, like what an like, anger ball you were. <laughs> and now, like, I I don't know if you listen to the Champions Corner to Rome, I haven't but I asked her yet, about that, yet. like cause she was talking about how 2013 or 2014 Rome was her breakout or sorry, 2013 Rome 2013, yeah. and whatever. And and uh, and I was like, what would the Simona of now like go back and tell the 2013 Simona? The Simona who was so ambitious, who would like get mad, blah, blah, blah. And she, you have to listen to it because if you listen to it, it's funnier than if you read it. But she was like, oh, back then I was mad at the umpire. I was mad at myself. I was mad at the coach. I was mad at the fans. I was mad at, and she just like reels off like 10 different <laughs> categories of people. She's like, I was mad at everybody. <laughs> like, you know, and she's like, no, it's like, whatever. It's like very, it's very interesting to kind of track all that. But, I really um, felt that from Simona last year at Wimbledon. I yeah. kind of felt like when she won Wimbledon, which is something I don't think she really ever expected herself to be able to do. Correct. That she was sort of like, wow, I've now, at least in some category, overachieved. And this is now cool for me. And like which everything is, is now kind of chill. Yeah, because yeah. it's interesting, right? Because 
again, like I, I tweeted this over the weekend because I didn't realize it until I looked it up. But like for seven consecutive years, Simona has either been ranked one or two at some point in each season. Wow. Yeah. And that's the longest streak of that since Steffi. Mm, Steffi nice did 11. Nice Lindsay did nice. six. Yeah. Uh, Serena, I think Justine, a few did five. It's kind of crazy. And so when you stack the, all that up, right, and you put that stat next to, you know, all of this other stuff where she's basically the most successful player of her gener of her kind of segment of the generation outside of Serena and Maria, like one of the most successful players and all this sort of stuff, like it made me kind of think about it kind of sadly over the weekend. I was like, you know, we've spent like I, I say we as a collective media and tennis fan tennis pundit world mm -hmm. spent a lot of Simona Halep's career belittling Simona Halep. I'm talking about her talking about her short footfalls for sure. Yes. Right. Of, yeah. of just like, why haven't you done this? Why yeah. can't yeah. you do this? Da, 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 da. To the point where now we step back seven years on and we look at the stats that she's actually compiled in her career and how it stacks up against people that we consider the, you know, the game's greats. It's kind of, I mean, it's absurdly impressive. <laughs> her Hall of Fame ballad is very strong to use that sort of this week's nominations parlance. Like she'll, she's got, she's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean the fact that she only has two majors obviously is going, to, is the thing that everybody looks at and is like, well, you know. But she's been, but, she's, she's been just a relevant player for so long. And, a, and yeah, so anyway, so I. Know. Anyways. That was a lot of smoke how she's in this part yeah, of the draw. <laughs> it's okay. And to get back on track, the fourth eighth of the draw is the Serena Williams eighth which I think a lot of people would sort of call the cool kids section. There's like a lot of cool things happening here. Serena Obis I call Christine. it the U.S. Open section, but continue. I mean, yeah, well, that too. Because Christiane, who she, Serena played first round U.S. Open, gets her again. Rough break for, for old Christy. And then Serena could get Peronkova. She played quarters of the U.S. Open again. Or Andrea Pekovic, who was in here too, playing her first tournament, I believe, of since the resumption opening against her there. Uh, and then possibly Barbara Schutzova, who did not play U.S. Open in the third round. Uh, could come. Serena played Barbara, obviously at a French. Uh, sorry, at a Wimbledon semifinal last year. Was would have been their last meeting. Shots of a injured in that match. Did not really put up a great fight. Um, and then fourth round, obviously she could play Victoria Azarenka again, who she played in the U.S. Open semifinals. And this was that's sort of the draw that got the most attention. Big picture in terms of contenders was seeing how close uh, Vika and Serena were. Again, Vika would could have to play Venus Williams. In the second round, uh, for, the Venus, for, for the third in time, the already <laughs> since the restart, which is crazy. Yuli Putin Seva, not one to count out in this section. Actually, I would actually love to see a Putz Vika match on clay. I think that would be a really interesting test for Vika, and it would just be it would be it'd be fun. <laughs> That's a lot of intensity right there. <laughs> Putz Vika, clay, rain, no fan. I'm here so, for it. Suddenly, because I love the they they. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm not apathetic. <laughs> Suddenly, I mean, that's the only thing I want. <laughs> they can't make me care. I mean, I, I don't really know what to expect from Serena. Having she's not, she's not play on clay before. Obviously, she skipped Rome, which is understandable. It was weird, or it was an outlier, I should say, that Vika did play Rome because all the other people who went deep at the U.S. Open and did well. Yeah, and she did it well. Has there to be too. said. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like it took a very gritty, like courageous, like never say die effort from Garbina Muguruza to 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 yeah. beat, beat Victoria Azarenka in three sets in 
the uh, the quarterfinals of of Rome and Vika, it looked like really just ran out of gas, like physically more than anything else. So I'm thinking like, you know, having a week off um, to kind of recharge those batteries. She was in fine form today in her her pre-tournament press conference and seems just as relaxed and chilled out as she has been the last like three or four weeks, which has been great to see. Yeah. So, yeah. And then Serena, I mean, she picked up straight after the U.S. Open, flew over to Nice, been training on clay at the Mortoglu Academy, which is mm-hmm. great. You know, so she's not going in completely cold. I mean, she's obviously been training on European clay, getting used to climate, all these sorts of things. But I'm curious as to like what it I mean, what's it going to be like for Serena to actually be in the actual bubble? Like the hotel bubble. No private house in this time. Same for Vika, too, actually. Vika was not in the bubble last True. time either. Vika went private house. True. A lot of places going to be affected. Novak, for jo- Djokovic, I mean, like, too. Yeah. Uh, some people, Zverev, I, yeah. I, I've heard someone say uh, Ronich was another private houser in New York, and he did not play the French Open. And I have people cons- wondering if that was a consideration for him. I've not heard either way, but it, it, it was noted that he would not have been able to go private housing again. And he's been somebody who's been very covid cautious i mean he even being he's Montenegrin, the kid of scientists i mean being, like, you even know. being montenegrin by birth he was like he wanted no part of adria tour let's put it that way yeah. so um anyway yeah serena vika we'll see i mean th- i mean i don't have any i don't want to make serena predictions in this draw I, I think it seems silly but i do think that clay is probably comparatively better for serena than it is for vika um, I don't know what this kind okay. of particular clay will be, but Serena's had more clay success in her career than Vika's had. And if this draw gets going for Serena, I think it's workable for her. I think that, you know, I don't hate her chances against a Mertens or a Svitolina in this in the quarters if she's getting there. I would love to see her play a Simona Howell than a semi, but never played her at the French Open before. Or even a Burtons or something would be cool too. So, or a Vondrosheva. So I, I think that there's... It's an int- I think it's a, I think it's a low key, good draw for Serena. Yeah, I think it, I, I think it can build well for her. Put it that way. I think that's true. I think I think she can also lose to Peronkova or Pekovic. Who knows? But I don't think that's going to happen. I think that the the round of sixteen against Azarenka is the one to kind of look out for. Oh, definitely. Um, and then past that, it or depends poots, on whether or, or not or Poots. Yeah, Poots nearly beat her in that same twenty sixteen. I think that's true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. You know, I mean, it depends on, and then from there, it kind of depends on how the top quarter shakes out. Whether or not Halep kind of you know, continues to throw down or if she, you know, gets upset, which opens up the door for other players. I think that in these conditions, which are going to be heavy, if you can gen- if you can win cheap points, like you're going to be ahead of the pack yeah, in a significant way. So whether if Serena's serving well, if she's returning well, I think that on the return, Serena's going to be an absolute monster. I think that she is going to break, she has, a, in these conditions, will have the opportunity to break serve at a far higher rate yeah. than 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 in t- in typical tournaments, um, even clay tournaments. So that'll be big. And I think that could be a difference maker for her. I, I agree with you. I think this is not a terrible draw for her outside of that round of 16 against Vika. I think that there's something about that matchup. I think there's something about it that, that Vika relishes Yeah, that could flip things to Vika's, Vika's way. But if something happens early, if Venus beats Vika, I mean, they're, or they're two... Or, si- Venus, yeah, or Poots. Pa- Venus Vika, Vika is not a draw winner here at all. No, no, so, for sure. So, you know, if the draw breaks a certain way, this is a this is a good, great chance for Serena. I think better than at the U.S. Open for sure, in my opinion. Bottom half of the draw. Let's get to here. Arena Sabalenka is the high seed in this eighth of the draw, the number eight seed. <sighs> Sabalenka has never lived up to that kind of seed at, at a major. She's never made a quarterfinal of a major. 
we know obviously how good she can be at, uh, at smaller turns. She's, you know, big in your Wuhan's of the world and places like that. She's, she's racked up a bunch of wins and stuff. What do you think it's going to take for, because this draw is not awful for Sabalenka. Uh, I mean, I mean, Pagula has obviously been playing well, but I don't think Clay is going to see Pagula at all. Daria Kasakina, great to see her coming back uh, and playing good tennis again after some years in the wilderness uh, in Rome before she hurt her ankle against Azarenka. Um, so hopefully she's at full strength there. Cousin Harmony, also shout out to her in this section of the draw. Jabir, I mean, like now Hibino, uh, Ricky Diamond favorite, also doing a great run in Strasbourg this week. But I, I, I'm just, I'm all this is to ask about Sabalenka. Um, Sabalenka, I think, has only made the fourth round of a major once, I want to say. In her in her career, which yeah, yeah U.S. US Open, Open. Which lost to Osaka, the slight the sliding doors match that exactly. that round of sixteen so against Naomi. What do you, what do you I mean? Do you think that Sabalenka is it just mental at slams? Is that all it is? Is she just sort of in a same? I mean, it's a more extreme version of what we've seen from other players in the past. Your Svitolinas, your Zverevs, who had these big tour level successes, and it cannot make it translate at slams. And Sabalenka is very much in that conversation on paper. Yeah, no, that's probably right. I mean, there's no reason that she can't, um, you know, translate her tour level success to the majors. Um, and even when she has had tough draws, like at the U.S. Open second round against Vika, Vika played great. And that's a tough draw. And Vika probably wins that match. But Sabalenka's performance in that match was was really disappointing. And, yeah. you know, that's where you get a little bit nervous is, is that she doesn't perform necessarily well. Here, I mean, she's coming. She's going to go into to Roland Garros off a semifinal run in Strasbourg, lost a narrow three setter to Svitolina today. Um, so maybe that gives her some confidence. You know, she kind of has a different team and behind her. Um, Tursunov is not with her uh, at the moment. Um, so you know, maybe that freshens things up for her. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, uh, Sabalenka definitely falls into that early. I think Svitolina category of kind of, you know. I don't have, I have every reason to bet on you to make it far, but I have no reason to to bet on you to make it far at this right? because like at the slams you haven't done it, but obviously the talent's there and you feel like eventually it'll happen, but until you prove to me that you can get to the quarterfinal semifinals of a major, like how can I bet on you to do it? Yeah, exactly. And we and we've seen repeatedly where we would have bet on her and she hasn't lived up to the expectations. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just what is what it is. So that being she, said, it's a great you're, as you said, it's a great draw for her. It's a very workable draw for her. I think I think Jabir is a possible third round match. I mean, Jabir has had some okay French Open results before, but not the most obvious clay quarter. And then fun fun sidebar in this section, fun qualifiers in this in this little group here. Marta Kostiuk is a qualifier who's which is great to see her establishing herself as a regular presence in slam draws. Clara Tawson is in here. Uh, Danish junior who's been talked about for a while as a sort of Wozniacki successor. I believe this is her first slam main draw. And then Monica Nicolescu, who hit an underarm serve on her fourth match point to qualify against Vera Zvonareva in a match of Quains gets a really I, a very circleable first round match against Danielle Collins, which will be a that that's that's you know, bring a bring a lawn chair and some drinks and have fun with that one. And then the two big seeds in here also are, are definitely worth mentioning in this section, uh, Garbina Muguruza and Jen Brady. Uh, Brady, we have not seen have a ton of success on clay before, but she's playing so well. She didn't play Rome, did she? Did she play anything since then? Not yet. So what do you think about Muguruza and Brady? Because, I mean, those are both people who can be absolutely, I think, considered legit threats at every slam now. 
Yeah, no. To me, the 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 name that that stands out in this entire quarter is Mar- is Muguruza. Mm. Very impressed by her effort in Rome, and what I think makes me, you know, like I I kind of was handicapping the field in my head until the forecast and the weather and all this talk about the ball and how the actual conditions were playing kind of be- came to light. And then after that, I kind of thought, you know what? I feel like this is Muguruza's to win. I think I feel like she is not only obviously a former champion, knows how to do this, made final, you know, at Australia, and obviously played really well in Rome before basically kind of being physically compromised against Halep um, and losing that semifinal, but making a three-setter despite basically being on yeah. one leg. So, but what what really impressed me in Rome about Garby is that she is willing to get her hands dirty and fight and to scrap and to win ugly if she has to to play plan b plan c run forever that forehand squash was driving Halep crazy and that's what i feel like right now with these heavy conditions like that's what you're gonna need you're gonna need people who are willing to just get into the mud and wrestle that is very much the ethos of her coach conchita martinez was very much that kind of player. And as we mentioned, this 2016 French Open several times before, winner of that tournament was Garbinia Muguruza. Like, she can do this ugly, attritional kind of tennis. Like, she is somebody who... I don't. I still think, like, she's, like, one of the least understood, like, re- relevant players. I think people just don't get her. I think she's kind of closed off in a way where people just don't really understand her. Yeah, she doesn't she doesn't let you I mean if you take let like, you in. her and you com- you compare her to Halep because despite being different in ages, like they've their rises their yeah, their trajectories are, are relatively similar. One le- one you have lived and died with every single emotion because she can't hide it. And the other one is is tougher to decipher. And I think she, that's the way that she wants it. And so it's hard to kind of understand what her mindset is going into a major but what you have to judge is basically what you see on the court and and it was it was pretty good in rome i, I was say. just checking to confirm what i thought might be the case but it is Muguruza is the odds maker's second favorite when the tournament behind halep which is which is saying something and we kind of were thinking that on our own but like for the 11 seed to be a pretty clear number two ahead of serena who's number three is is saying a lot um so Muguruza's in there for sure with a shot and then the next part of this quarter the high seed in the quarter is Sophia Kennan who had a very is still like weirdly under radar I feel like a lot of times despite being the slam champ this year but Kennan after taking a a pretty lopsided loss to Mertens at the U.S. Open comes in here she played some in, in Rome she was okay in Rome and her draw is I think great I think she's a big draw winner to get to the quarters. I I mean, to get to the fourth round against either, because she opens against Samsonova, then plays Babos or Bogdan, and then maybe Vekic or Van Oitvank or Peterson. And then, yeah, maybe Rubikina or, or Mukova. I love this draw for, for Ken, and I think she should make quarters here. Yeah, you'd think. I mean, that's, it's, I think, just based on the draw yeah, exactly. alone. You know, uh, I wouldn't have that said that with be... a lot of draws for her. Had she been in a lot of other sections, that would have been Kennan could be in trouble, but not here. And it, and it could be, you know, I mean, for for Sonia, it could be just the matter of going into Roland Garros with no pressure, with no eyes on you. It, it's a very different circumstance than she found herself at the U.S. Open, obviously. And maybe at the French Open, she can kind of be what she was at the Australian Open, a player that we know obviously has the quality and can play well and, you know, and play and give herself time to play into form because what she says at the Australian Open and the U.S. Open, where she made the round of 16, I mean, she didn't 
play didn't a flop. terrible event. Yeah, flop. she didn't flop no. at all. No. Um, but she said, you know, like in both those events, I wasn't feeling great. I was feeling, you know, my game on the practice courts wasn't always ideal, but then she played herself into form. So this is one of those draws that would allow her to do that. Um, so yeah, in that way, I would consider her potentially dangerous. Big hitters in the next eighth of the draw headlining Petra Kvitova and Madison Keys. Madison Keys, low-key, pretty successful player at the French Open recently. Madison Keys has put together some good runs there. I would think that she would like to hit through these conditions. I think she'd be okay with this. I would think Petra could theoretically be okay with it too. And if it's not the obvious Petra tennis, I feel like Petra can handle this. And the rest of the section is pretty pretty workable i think i mean i think cornet in the second round potentially for keys uh somebody who will love a grind and would just would talk about your mud wrestling kind of player like cornet is in there ready to go kerber i think it's gonna hate this every part of it and it's gonna be so over it i don't really consider her a factor here but yeah i think this is gonna be keys and and petra and that could be a kind of coin slippy fourth round is my take here It's, it's not the strongest section this is not a section with a lot of people who i think can go really deep with this tournament but I think one of them has a chance to make a quarter. I mean, I, I think that the issue that I have circled and will keep obviously keeping an eye on, especially in that first week, is like Rafa did his press conference today and he was like, look, like these balls are heavy. And these and you can you combine that with the conditions and, and the wetness and the weather and the coolness. It's not entirely safe. And, you know, and I've seen this happen for Madison, for Petra on clay when conditions have been heavy um that it does you know they get elbow issues they get forearm issues and both yeah. players have struggled with both of those um types of injuries in the past so for the big kind of power players it is something to keep in mind is that on paper i mean you know you think back to 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 robin Sodling beating beating nadal mm-hmm. right back in the day it was a freaking heavy rainy cold, day. Yeah. cold wet day and that's what allowed him to do it so in that way, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, this feels like 2016 Roland Garros has to be a power player's slam. But I'm a little bit concerned about, especially because they haven't had a full season of play in their bodies. How will their body react under, you know, this physical stress? That's where I just, I really have no idea. I have no idea whether or not this event is going to favor the grinders who can at least run and, you know, stuff like that or if it's going to favor the hitters who can hit um whether the hitters can withstand the physicality of having to hit through these conditions whether the runners can handle the physicality of having to run day after day after day uh so it's a tough one so yeah no this this section yeah keys knows how to bring it at slams she knows how to bring it and that the french she's going to have all the time in the world to set up for her shots if she serves well yeah i mean this this could be setting up to be a very very good draw for her i think she's kind of a dark horse here i think like her draw to the semis i think is actually pretty decent and then once you get there put her against a Mugarusa, and i don't hate it for her so so we'll see the bottom section the last section is led by carolina pliskova who opens against uh, egyptian qualifier Maya sharif uh first ever player representing egypt in a grand slam main draw Wim- woman i should say so good for her uh pliskova is the next uh faces an interesting really low-key interesting first round uh, Ostapenko Brengel because it feels like Brengel is exactly designed to beat your Ostapenkos of the world. Like that's a perfect matchup for Brengel. She did it to Yastrzem to get the U.S. Open, um, and then Sloane Stevens, who's been mixed in terms of results, but her upside, depending on conditions, she's not again someone who she gave Serena a real scare at that U.S. Open in that 
first half of that match. Former in finalist. In the third round. I know, former finalist. I mean, like, it's was easy to forget that Sloan at, was a finalist here. <laughs> and I was Matt Shalope was reliving that match on Twitter recently, so I rewatched some highlights of that Steven Hallett match, and, like, Sloan was, like, was winning that match. Like, she looked on her way to win that match. that one drop shot get that, that mm. Simona had yeah. off, that, that she she ground out and that pretty much flipped the entire match in the third set but yeah that was a winnable match for sloan 100 percent. and then we get martich in here to circle the first round popcorn again seekum into none of it should be fun i yeah i think this whole quarter is relatively weak unless something weird happens with the conditions is kind of my thought sort of last thing i want to say on this or ask about this section how are you how is what's your sense of how pliskov is doing physically after retiring in the rome final which her first ever retirement uh, yeah. Four level match. I don't know. Uh, you know, the good news is that she actually hit the practice courts and, yeah. you know, went in, in practice. The bad news, I mean, she was supposed to do press today. She didn't do that. She got postponed to Saturday. You never know. I mean, Serena did the same. I mean, she was thinking that she, we thought we, she was going to do press today and she didn't, um, and didn't come on site. She had like a 90 minute, uh, practice scheduled on Long Lun and never showed up. So who knows about anything? Across the board. Yeah. Um, but I think that the good thing for Pliskova is that, like, Rome, she finally played her tennis in Rome for the first time in 2020. Like, the best matches that she played all year were in that tournament. She found her serve. She found her rhythm. She found her movement. Uh, but it took a physical effort. And, and so if she's healthy and if she can kind of navigate this draw and build... It's great, but I feel like with Carolina, so much of playing on clay is very mental. And there's a part of me that kind of feels like she will believe that she has to be 100% physically in order to do well on the surface. And in the crunch moments, you know, deep in those third sets and like whatever, that insecurity could come back to bite her. Yeah, there's still a lot of fake it till you make it with Pliskova on clay, yeah. it feels like. So. Yeah, so we'll see. Mar Petra Marta should have mentioned here, but she was a quarterfinalist last year. Again, somebody who has the strength to kind of, she can kind of do either of the physical challenges. She can either be a grinder, she can be a little more aggressive. So maybe this is well suited to her. I don't know. We're going to see. Well, you'll be hearing from us a lot during the tournament. We have time to revisit all those predictions and renovate and repair and recalibrate and all those sorts of things. There we go. That's the women's draw. We've spent a long time on that. Let's try to get to the men now. Um, so we usually have less to say about the men regardless, but or make a point of that this time. Uh, men's draw. Novak Djokovic, top seed. Still undefeated in matches that do not end in default this year, winning Rome. Uh, his early draw is pretty good for the first two rounds against Mikhail Emer and then Delian or Barankas, and then gets possibly Hubie third round. Or Sangren, I guess. I guess Sangren could theoretically beat Hubie. Sangren's not terrible on clay. And then he's lost to um, Hachinov in the Bear Sea final a couple years ago. So not the best fourth round for Novak, but not the worst either. I think he's it's my pick to win this tournament. I, I, yeah, I, think I don't. I don't. I, 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 yeah, I don't even understand. Like even trying to like parse out his draw. He's the guy to beat yeah. um, in these conditions and. Maybe that's mind games from Rafa or like whatever, but I just, I think he is. I mean, he can hit through these conditions. He doesn't need how down the ball. He doesn't need kick on the ball. He can he hit flatter. Another 2016 French Open champion, Novak Djokovic. Oh, there he you was go. was the winner that year. I will say on the mind games, we'll get to Rafa when we get to Rafa on the draw, but like Rafa always is pl downplaying his chances to do everything all the time. 
So I'm not going to, honestly, he is. So I'm, when has Rafa ever said like, oh, I'm going to kick some ass this week? Uh, never. So, and yet he kicks lots of ass, lots of weeks. So Rafa will always sell himself short. So I'm, I would take everything he says with a Hamon uh, uh, Iberico level of grain of salt and, and it's salty food. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we'll see. I, but yeah, but Djokovic has been, been really good. And I don't, I would favor him against all 127 other players in the draw, including Rafa, if, if they match up. That's just where I'm at with Novak now. I mean, like, he, I just haven't seen him lose, and he doesn't seem to think he can lose. And his and he was also showed in, um, with the exception of his, again, his anger management issue, uh, that he was comfortable playing in fanless stadiums. I mean, he won Cincinnati. He was undefeated at the US Open until things happened. So... I, I, I think he's I think he's built for this. I think he's feeling really good. I think he is feeling like he has unfinished business at the Grand Slams with how his US Open ended. I, I just think that he's he's big, big favorite here. Yeah, and even just to get out of this draw, I mean, who's going to threaten him? You know, I mean, it's what Medvedev. He hits too flat. He he doesn't really believe himself on clay. Well, uh, sits a pass uh, semifinal potentially. Medvedev was saying, I forget who was quoted this, but Medvedev apparently depressed today. I was kind of out of the press from today, but Medvedev was saying that he thinks these conditions actually help him a lot. Like the ball not kicking high, yeah, and true. Staying low, he's like this actually kind of declayifies the clay a bit for me, and I don't it makes hate it, it more. It makes it more grindy, which is grindy obviously... and also like low bouncing, and those are things he likes. True, true, true. Yeah, so, maybe. So that, you know, that's, Med- that's not until the semis. Right. I mean, Medvedev and Tsitsipas are the only two players I think that you could see unwinding Novak in a best of five semifinal. And even then, the idea of that happening after having to play and put forth the physical effort to get to the semifinals. I mean, those boys are going to be taped up and tired. Uh, Tsitsipas is still in uh, in uh, Hamburg. Hamburg, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Hamburg ending late. That's weird. They didn't like end that tournament. You know, I don't understand why that's not a Saturday final. That, that's weird. And also they're doing things like they're kind of um, they did it with like where they had like the the second round was over two days, like at a normal one week event. I was like, speed it up, folks. Let's go. And they do have fans. There. I don't know if they're trying to sell the weekend, but still like it's it's a weird, weird choice. And and granted, Sitsipas probably does need some confidence after his US Open loss. I don't mind him getting matches and he didn't do particularly well in in. Rome blowing a lead against uh, Yannick Sinner, losing that match. So we'll see. Other other names in this draw, uh, in the top eighth, uh, Ugo Umber uh, has had a good run in, or had a good run, I think maybe we just ended today in Hamburg. Uh, so he's someone who's emerging. Shout out to Twitter tennis Twitter fave, Woke Bay Liam Brody, who, who qualified here, is also in this section. Next section... Again, yeah, the stakes feel so low uh, because none of these people are beating Djokovic if they get there. But Berrettini, Batista Agut, and Carreño Busta all in here. Any of <laughs> All present? <laughs> present and, and accounted, accounted for. for? Um, this section is not especially strong beyond that. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't have much to say here. <laughs> Courtney, thoughts? <laughs> Okay, let's take They're the pre- let's let's take the presence of Batista Agut and Karina Busta, uh, I believe the second and third ranked Spanish people in this draw behind Nadal, to discuss Fernando Verdasco, who is out of this tournament uh, after testing positive for coronavirus, which upsets him. I, again, my ambivalence about them holding this tournament 
still remains them having fans still very much even though it keeps going down and down and down and down and down it's still i think zero is a better number uh and then 750 or whatever they've landed at now i you know i'm i think this is the this is the risk of playing in a pandemic you know you might test positive and it, and then you're out and i think i i don't feel bad for you because you think that your positive shouldn't count as a certain kind of positive because you've had other negatives or you had coronavirus before and now you think you got over and you can't get it again and there's talk about like like Demir Jumer, whose coach tested positive during qualifying. Like he's like gearing up to sue the FFT. And I'm just like, bro, chill. Like you know, just stop. Like at, we're playing during Rona, man. Like it's not gonna be perfect. <laughs> it's not gonna be good. It's not gonna be fun. It's not gonna be any of these things. Just nope. like take it what it is. Life's not fair. <laughs> and I'm sorry that you tested positive. But you tested positive. And Benoit Pair also testing positive multiple times and still being allowed to play in Hamburg. That's a whole other mess. Don't I mean, like I, that. It, it, no. It, this is the thing that I feel like some players grasp and other players don't. Mm-hmm. Like, these events are bending over backwards, tying themselves into knots, like trying to sidestep every governmental regulation. Oh, yeah. You see that so much with get, the French Open. To get you paid. To give you $60,000 minimum. They are putting you up in hotels. They are paying for your accommodation, your food, all of it. And when things don't go perfectly, you come after them. When these events don't have to happen. And honestly, if, if in my opinion, I mean, like if to me, what is the most reasonable and clear-cut rule in my own head is if you test positive for corona or if anyone in your entourage tests positive for corona, you out. Mm-hmm. Simple as. No argument. I don't care how many... I don't care if it's a false positive. I don't care if you do 20 tests after that and they're negative. But like at that point, you're done because there are 20,000 things that I, a tournament director and tournament official have to deal with in terms of putting on this event safely than dealing with you complaining. Yeah. Then dealing with trying to bend the rules to allow you to play. And then when those rules are bent, arguably, which, you know, arguably we saw in New York Mm -hmm. in terms of an event trying, you know, Adrian Manorino being allowed to play that event Mm -hmm. just because he was outside of Nassau County at, at the time moment. that Nassau, yes. at that moment, like, you know, I mean, like, that's kind of baloney if you think about it, right? Because, like, baloney. the science and the health concerns are not related to whether or not you are in Nassau County at the time that that, you know. But, like, so these events have gone out of their way to try and allow these things to happen. And then for these boys to just get so in a tiff and to act so entitled, I don't know. I have a hard... I, I, I absolutely understand where they're coming from, from a, if this were normal times, times, <laughs> you know, you've earned your spot in the draw, you've um, earned effectively that 60 grand and an opportunity to compete for more, you experience some bad luck, whatever it is. But I mean, going to the Joomer situation, I don't understand if you know that these are the, these are the rules about what happens with a positive test. I don't understand why Peter Popovich was there. Why bring a coach? Why, 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 why bring a your... coach that you this know is to... carrying antibodies and had it 
and everybody is saying has a 50% chance of testing positive. Why did you bring that person to Paris? That's insane. Yeah. If you had just gone by yourself, you would be allowed to play. Like, right? Like, so that's what I don't understand. Like, I am absolutely, like, I, I know that sounds like lip service. I do feel for them because you feel like a thing that you have a right to is being taken away from you unfairly. Mm-hmm. But what I don't understand is why these players and coaches can't take a step back and realize these are not normal times. That everyone is going out of their way to, like, make this happen. No one is trying to fuck you over. Literally no one. No one. And I would absolutely agree with you. If I had, honestly, almost any coach, whether they'd had antibodies or not, I would be like, you know what, Peter slash whoever, why don't you sit this one at home? I'll see you on Zoom. We'll hang out. I'll, like, we'll play Words with Friends. It'll be chill. But, like, I don't need to double my risk of test, of test positive test takes me out. That just seems like, like why, bad math. Like, and, that's just science, right? Like, why mm-hmm. would I probabilities. exponentially increase my chances of getting pulled from an event yeah. by bringing a t- an unnecessarily large team to a tournament? And also, also with the whole COVID thing, people are like, oh, my gosh, she has the antibodies, so it definitely can't be. People are are talking with confidence that we have not earned we don't know what this thing is we still don't know what we're doing out here folks we don't don't know know. no confidence is earned at any point so the humility is so so again which is why the zero tolerance one positive and you're out yes makes complete sense to me because you got to err on the side of caution and the reason why that doesn't exist as a rule is again because the events are trying to go out of their way to allow you to play Mm -hmm. to have an event to get you and your colleagues paid, and they're being thanked yeah. by what? By, by by lawsuit threats. By lawsuit threats. By terrible press. I mean, there's an argument to be made in New York that if those players don't go to social media and drag the USTA through the mud over the 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 bubble within a bubble protocols, that Nassau County and the government of New York. Never knows what's happening. That's what, that's one thing we both heard. I'm pretty sure is that Nassau County. It was a theory. I'm not sure if it was true or not, but that Nassau County was alerted to all of this by yes. seeing headlines about Milanovic complaining, right? And so that and that's when they cracked down. So eh. the bad the thing, press the other, is what kind of thing. was a red flag to the to the to the to the the government. I mean, Roland Garros, their their desire openly expressed desire to have twenty thousand fans, ten thousand fans, whatever. I could see a government being very annoyed by that when spikes you in infections be. are happening. Yeah, absolutely should be. I mean, there's a few. Okay, two two last sort of thoughts on this. Very much all that entire gif of any tennis player complaint during the pandemic about anything. And this goes to our own complaints because we've been complaining plenty of the game of show doing our own stuff. But very much that I don't like this show at all. But the, the gif of, um, I think it's Courtney saying, Kim, there's people that are dying. Like, Read the room. The room is full of dead people. Read the room. And number two, this is why the tours gave everyone this holdover ranking points thing, right? You don't get, you can't play 2020. That's okay. You still have to keep whatever your 2019 ranking points were for the event. I'm actually curious. I'm going to look and see what Fordasco got last year. But like, you don't get 60,000 euros, Fordasco. That's okay. You've made literal millions in the sport. You've made more from the sport than it's made from you. Let's be real. He made second round it's he'll he'll survive and again he lost the cousin antoine 
I don't know if he's a cousin, actually. Not as much as Harmony, but... Yeah, he's, I mean, Harmony's probably closer cousin, but... Cousin she's, she's a literal cousin. <laughs> I mean, she's she's a literal cousin of Friends of the Podcast. Right. Um, but uh, Anton, don't know, but adore him. But yeah, no, I just... I don't know, man. It's really hard for me to feel for the players who are complaining at the moment. And... I'm the only reason why I'm hesitant to express that opinion is because I know that people will listen and be like, well, you work for the tour and you're part of the tennis industrial complex. Like, obviously, that's how you feel. And okay, if you want to dismiss it, but like, I'm pretty sure that like my entire ethos is built towards this moment. Like, I don't think that I'm acting incongruously at all with, you know, because look, we, you and I both have friends who have been laid off from federations, from Mm -hmm. tournaments. I mean, outside of this $60,000 guarantee appearance fee for players who earn their their spot to go and play one point and retire if they want to and get 60 grand, we have friends who are struggling, who are, you know, relying on Roland Garros for, for money to do, you know, and doing social and doing writing and whatever. And same at the, at the U.S. Open, and, you know, and this cascades all the way down to umpires and line umpires and, you know, all the people that don't get to write a five paragraph note and make news about, you know, how this sport is treating them at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I do have a little bit of a problem feeling bad for a multimillionaire who doesn't get to play COVID Roland Garros. I'm sorry you don't get to lose in the second round this time, Fernando. I All just right. I, I it's hard like I'm if it's heartless and like whatever fine but like I don't know man like this is things are real shitty right now across the t- across the tours across the sport mm-hmm. there are genuine questions as to like what tennis looks like going forward because of the the financial losses that have been taken this year yeah yeah sorry D- not not gonna lose an ounce of sleep over players who can't play because of COVID. The second quarter of the draw features Daniel Medvedev, number four seed. We're only at the second. <laughs> uh, we, I mean, we didn't really oh, talk yeah, about the first we, part. Fair enough. We kind of said Novak, Sharpie. Yeah, we, we, but... we don't have much to say, but this, that's why I said, like, let's take a detour now and fill some time. So people look at the men's half and be like, okay, they didn't talk about it for five minutes to just. Fair enough. Uh, so that was a good, a good, good use of the clock. Uh, Medvedev opens against Fuksovic, Manorino. Vasilashvili, Lajevic, Rublev. Um, Rublev is good. Rublev's playing really well. I mean, Rublev could beat Medvedev here. Rublev um could Rublev could make semis. Oh, I'm I'm I will sign up all day for Rublev Medvedev every week. It's cool. I love how their games kind of match up. I love kind of like the mental part of it. Yeah, and Rublev. Yeah, he and they have like history in like a fun yeah. way. Yeah. I mean, if uh, any opportunity I get to march out that that Medvedev Ostapenko Rublev Times Square photo, that's good stuff. And also, and I will also, embrace. And also that clip from uh, the best moment of Tennis United this year, where Medvedev was telling this story about. Um, you remember this story? Medvedev tells the story of how Rublev was getting furious that some fans were mistaking him for Sinner, and he was like, um, "Oh, like because they both have red hair and they kind of like similar sort of poofy hair and tall, skinny guys." And he was so mad. So Medvedev went up to him one day and was like, hey, Yannick. And he got really furious. He was like seething mad. And then he came back like 10 minutes later and looked at at, at uh, Medvedev and said, you were Davidenko then. 
like his, his, his ten minute later jerk store comeback. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. So I I support that Russian nonsense. I, I love it. Yeah, I love. I'm I'm, I'm 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 real. I'm real high on the Russian the rise or resurgence of Russian men's tennis. It's it's pretty good. There's not like a lot of depth yet. At least there's only three of them. Right. But they're there's all relevant and good. So it's yeah. uh, They're all top fifteen guys right now. Uh, then Sitsipas is here. Sitsipas been a journey. I feel like it will continue to be a journey. He could. Uh, can I ask the... you? Can I ask you a question about Steph? I would love to try to answer this. Is it about Phanos? <laughs> In, insert insert audio file. Inevitable. No. Why? Okay. I feel like I am in the minority of a very like small minority of people who like don't think Steph's loss at the U.S. Open was that big of a deal. Why? Why is everyone treating it like? Oh my God. These scars that this this young man will have to overcome, like I don't know, I don't I don't feel that level of panic that I keep okay. seeing from people. Here, please, are, ex- please here to explain. The, here are my two explanations. Ninety four percent of it is because nothing else happened at that U.S. Open on the men's side that was at all interesting. There were no other Fair. compelling matches, honestly, until the final, maybe, which was its own kind of mess. Where you could really like sink your teeth into be like, wow, what a like entertaining match this was. It just weren't that many entertaining matches, uh, especially first week U.S. Open match. It definitely had drama. Yeah, uh, it had drama because the whole sure. time you're like, no way is Steph gonna. Right. So that it was ba- that drama, know. and then there is already you know unfairly I think a sort of like talk of like of Steph like quote unquote underperforming at majors recently. His major results lately have not been great. Uh, he lost. Third or fourth round last year, French Open to Favrinka in that big match they had, that epic on Long Long, which again, gonna not bad. Sh- we're going to shit on like no, losing to Stan? No, we're not. Hold on. We're not. But then you add it to, I think then he lost first round uh, Wimbledon to Thomas Fabiano. And then he not lost ideal. first round of US Open to Rublev, which was not great. But it was, Come on, that's okay. but it was, okay, it was Rublev, but it was still first round. It was before Rublev had his full gloves at the time people were like, and also he had his great umpire rant where he said French people are all weirdos during that match. That was fun. And then he goes to Australia and he gets absolutely pasted by Ronich uh, on a day Not when a everyone loss. else lost. Again, none of these in isolation are bad, but people are being unfair. The same kind of way, honestly, we're getting with like Coco Golf, right? Where people, if right. Coco Golf loses to Kanta, yeah. they're going to be like, oh my gosh, Golf, what a flop. Slumping. You know, has been. Like, no, shut, shut up, all of you. I mean, <laughs> Tsitsipas also is still number five. He's still World Tour Finals champ, reigning. Like, he's going to be fine. Steph's fine. Like, I do, but. Like I oh, just, there is sort of already the sort of like maybe to be fair panic. the my only access to ATP tennis because I don't subscribe to tennis TV because it would be a waste of my money is just through Tennis Channel. Yeah. So all week, the last couple of weeks with Rome and here, I've just been hearing Tennis Channel commentary, and they just cannot stop bring. Oh, the scars of that he's got to do well to put that U.S. Open result behind him and. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, how? I mean, and I asked this innocently because I don't know, because I don't read or watch every single press conference from the ATP. But like, has Steph said that, like, outside of his weird cryptic tweet about, like, you know, he didn't change his press that night because he quote unquote wasn't requested. (laughs) Neither was Chorich. Okay. You know 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 my thoughts on these things. You know how, you know my thoughts on these things. We all have the same thoughts on these things. It's just, it's just, it's just amusing that the W, that, yeah, 
one tour goes out of their way to ask the press, hey, do you need this player? And the other tour does not. It's just all but strange. Anyways, but anyway. my que- but my the thing about Sitsipas is that is that like has he come out and said like this isn't Simona after losing to Ostapenko clearly looking devastated. I yeah. need to go away, you know, all this sort of stuff where you know, like it, are we totally projecting our disappointment on Steph? He has seemed upbeat and perky in Hamburg this week. I've seen a couple clips of him. I've not been watching a ton of Steph since then, but he, I saw a couple clips of him doing encore interviews and like speaking like a couple German phrases and being delighted with himself. He seems fine. I think he's he seems fine. fine. I, I think he's, he's fine. This is my point is that he seems fine. I feel like everybody's being like trying to attach this weird but again, uh, I like think weight I to think, his sh- I think it's because they need drama and storylines with these boys and Part of it is the low data I feel like size. the boys are totally bringing the drama, not on court, but like definitely off court. There's tons to talk about them about rather than like Stefano Sitsipas choked I, match Ste- points against Borna Chorich, another very good tennis player. I think part of the reason they're also building this narrative up for him is because they know it's going to be so easy to turn around. Because if you like, it's going to be so easy to like, this is, you, you give yeah. him this problem. It's easy to unearth somebody that you've buried. Right. Well, you feel like get, bury him in like, a, like a, a cocoa powder sprinkling of dirt. Yeah. No. Like this is not top, Kill Bill. A tiramisu you know, level where of he whatever. Needs to, yeah. No. no. Like no. Absolutely none of that punch situation. Yeah, no. Uh, fourth round, Sitsipas could face uh, the Night Train, Denis Shapovalov, uh, who is into the top ten, making his top ten debut. Uh, good for him. Shapovalov made the. Congratulations to of, Tennis Canada for dodging of, yet another bullet. In terms of what. They announced after oh, they Shapovalov said, they said beat somebody sure, like, being yeah. like she's t- he's top 10, which they did against with Bianca at the U.S. Open right. uh, in 2019, uh, prematurely announcing a top 10 debut when there were other scenarios right, right, that right. would stop it. So they've you, dodged two. Don't you do loved, it again. You would love that Shapovalov Schwartzman match, which was in the semis of Rome. You loved it. Oh, my gosh. Favorite match of the year. I, I texted Ben and I men's was match. like, am I? Cr-? Yeah. Men's match. Male sorry. player. Yeah. Male. Male. Uh, yeah, no, I, that was my favorite ATP match of the season. I couldn't remember another slam match, um, or other match that, yeah, was so good. Like I loved everything about it. I loved the contrast. I loved the drama. I loved just how much both guys were just throwing into it. And it was quality from first point to last point. The shot making was unbelievable. That third set between the two, fucking amazing like i was so in i was so for it like i i really enjoyed that match and so it was just like funny to kind of like go from that and then like yeah what happened after but um yeah i don't know and schwarzman final against the joke which was fine it was fine it It just was you know it's just it was fine diego schwarzman is in this next section we're down to the bottom half diego schwarzman 12 seed is in here along with high seed Number eight, Gelmafis. This is a fun section. Gelmafis opens against Sasha Bubbles. Gelmafis Bubbles? Gelmafis Bubbles for this. Yes. Oh my gosh. Here this for is, it. This is the match. Like, okay, like pandemic, whatever. Put 20,000 people in the stadium for this match. It, it'd be worth it. Ben, it that, that, yeah. Hold on, though. You and I are both connoisseurs of Sasha Bubbles. Sommeliers of the Bubbles, if you will. Sommeliers, yeah. absolutely. Netflix documentaries, 100%. Psalm 4, come talk to us. But I feel like the people don't appreciate the Sasha Bubbles. And I feel like he should be a thing. And I feel like you need to explain to the people why Sasha Bubbles should be shortlist top five, their favorite male tennis player. Okay. Sasha Bubbles, 
first came onto my radar, third round qualifying, 2017, Australian Open, when he was trying to pump Alexander up the Alexander Bublik, by the way. Yeah, Alexander Bublik, government name. <laughs> Kazakh government name. Uh, Non-Christian when was, name. When he was trying to pump up the crowd to make more noise against Ducky Lee, which just amused me. He is basically, I've heard someone, you know, people refer to him as like a poor man's Kyrios, uh, which honestly are like bargain bin Kyrios, which honestly is great. Like that's a wonderful thing to be, I feel what like. What a bargain! Be... <laughs> what a bargain, right? That's a steal at, at That's price like the finding price. the family stone in the Walgreens 399 DVD bucket. It's a steal. Buy it. You'll love it. It'll be great. So what I really like about, about I was going to talk about actually team is in this quarter to mention this all in here too. Sasha Bubbles committed to hitting the underarm serves, underhand serves, whatever you want to call them, uh, this week in Hamburg. And like afterwards, like giggling. Like hitting underarm aces and it's like so proud of himself afterwards. It's all fantastic. The underarm serves transition this a little bit are ha- we talked on the other show or during the US Open at some point about this whole like medieval struggle between like offense and defense in battle, in war, in the Middle sure. Ages and whatnot. And now we're at that point, right, where defense is winning out with this Fabian strategy of retreating to the back wall. Uh, to hit returns is is winning slams for the yep. team. So the attack has to adjust and you have to start mixing up your serves and hitting shorter serves because when you are butt against the wall for a team, you are leaving the short court open, right? So people have to be able to hit that target and that is a completely viable thing and Sasha, and actually Malfi's stance, Malfi's is so fast, I'm not sure if it's going to work for against Malfi's exactly per se, but at least he's opening up the avenue and I also saw... Um, Lorenzo Musetti, uh, Musetti, Musetti, yeah. who made the uh, fourth or uh, third round of Rome as a qualifier or as a wild card, qualifier, wild card, whatever. Uh, he was doing it in a match in the Italian Challenger this week as well against Gabashvili. And like, I just like you. People need to be doing this. Like, you, it's like it's such. You have to do it if nothing else to keep so the person like thinks twice before backing all the way up and being comfortable. Because this is the thing. You have to do this to keep it honest. Thing. You throw in one yes. early. I used to do this when I was, I again, my tennis career is not worth talking about in terms of my my junior's high, high school playing days. But I had like a very terrible serve. But what I would do is try to hit the ball as hard as I could on serve during warmups. And then first point, like, just like dink it over the net. And I would like very frequently get double bounce aces. And then I would, th- wouldn't win another point on serve the whole match. But I got this, that one. But this is the thing. This is the thing that really, really frustrates me about this sport. This is a concept. Keeping your opponent honest. I don't know if that's a phrase that exists in non-American sports. I don't know. Should. But it's a very, very like prevalent phrase that's used in American sports, which is when your opponent like basically sits on the thing that they know you're going to do, then you have to every once in a while do the opposite, not necessarily for success, but f- to force your opponent to play face up, yeah. to play true, to play honest against you, right? So yes, like, and, and this happens like, for example, in football, like American football, right? If you're playing against a prevent defense, mm-hmm. then yeah, you're gonna go short corners, you're gonna go quick outs, you're gonna go short ball to like force them to cover your men tight. And not just give space and tackle, right? Same thing, like, you know, if you have, uh, you know, like in basketball, 
I'm a Golden State Warriors fan. Like my team shoots the outside ball very, very well. They shoot threes, which means that if you're a defender, you can probably just defend against the three. So in order to allow yourself to shoot the three, you need a big man down below that you can pass the ball to that is able to, again, keep the defense honest. They can't, they cannot leave home. They need to play you straight keep up. Keep them on their toes. Keep them on their toes. That's all that this is. I find it equal parts, maybe not equal parts, unequal parts, <laughs> annoying and fascinating that this sport won't put on its big boy britches and be a sport. Like, it's a totally legit play. Like, why? And I get it for, like, I'm not criticizing the tweet because it's going to get interactions and it's going to get, like, clout, like, whatever. But the ATP tweet of, like... A thumbs up or thumbs down for a this A thumbs serve. up or thumbs down for on an Sasha ace. Bublik for an ace. Like, how do you feel about this ace, folks? Like, like as Ricky Diamond what? said, like, I feel yeah. the same way about every other ace. I feel good that he won the point. What are we even... I mean, ace like, is an ace is an ace. what are we talking about? Like, it's so embarrassing for the sport to act as though there are only right ways. And not only are you supposed to win points in this sport, which doesn't have a clock, by the way, so yeah. you constantly have to win points, right? But not only that, but on top of that, there's this invisible, like, I have like what you, but how you are supposed to win those points? Bullshit, man. I, I Bullshit. feel, like, I speak for NCR when we are not about the unwritten rules of anything no. in terms of like, oh, this is a baseball thing, obviously a lot. We're like, oh, there's certain ways to not, you know, like, like when the guy, like someone got, there was a Padre, right? This summer who they got mad at for hitting a grand slam. Yes, they the were San like, Diego how... Padre is not an actual father of the Catholic Church, but yes. Well, it might as well be. Um, for for the blasphemy this was considered <laughs> yes it was where he like, i don't need to get into all that the padres, just like, the padres were leading like by an insurmountable effectively lead and this guy with the bases loaded hit a home run which is grand slam and he was accused of like being unsportsmanlike running up the score like whatever and it's like yo you put the ball like right in the middle of the, i swung it went over the fence what do you want from me like also, it's just crazy I mean, we and I also I want a home run. Like personal stats matter. We're all fantasy players. I just I don't like it. I don't like the whole conversation around the underarm serve. It's a legit tactic. It's no less legit than a fucking drop shot. Yeah, it's exactly. literally the exact same thing. Monica Nicolescu hitting that underarm serve on match point against Vera Zvonareva. It was effectively a drop shot pass combo. Mm-hmm. She hit the she hit the underarm serve. Vera had to run in, hit a return, and then she passed her at the net. That's what it was. How is that not a play? I think Mary Krill is the one who referred maybe she's quoting somebody else, but I've heard her say that the goal of tennis is to like put your opponent in like a state of emergency or something like that. She uses a phrase like that. And if you can do that with a short serve that makes them uncomfortable, like again, yes. Keep doing it. You do you. Uh, so that's Sasha Bubbles' very long dissertation on a player who will almost certainly not make it to the second round. But uh, he, Diego Schwartzman is in here Believe too. In bubbles. <laughs> Diego Schwartzman is in this section as well. Rome finalist had a chance of being top ten had he won that match against Djokovic. He did not. Diego was the shortest player in terms of ATP listings to ever reach a Masters final. And the thing is, he's so much shorter than he's listed. He's listed at five seven, and we all know. That ain't true. <laughs> Diego, Diego is not 5'7". <laughs> he's not close to 5'7". He is like, I think we could say that he's probably, and obviously I'm, I, you've you been next to him, Courtney? Of course. Yeah, no, he's he's at most 5'3". 
I'm five three and a quarter. Yeah. Or three quarters. And you're like basically. eye to eye with him. Yeah. Yeah. He might be five four. Yeah, he might but be 5'4". But most 5'4". But here's the thing. There is a huge difference between 5'4 and 5'7 in men's tennis. 100%. It's huge. 100%, and I feel yeah. like it's, <laughs> pun intended here, it's really selling Diego short to not give him credit for his real height. Because, like, what he does is so incredible being 5'4". And I just kind of, and I, I know ATP, I've talked to ATP about this. ATP knows. <laughs> it comes. They're like, we need to talk to Diego about his height because it's just not true. <laughs> we, all, we all know. But it, it's, anyway, I celebrate. I want him to lean into it and own that. I think he's an even more inspirational, cool story when you're 5'4". When you're, when, go, go full Muggsy Bogues, all right? Just, just Well, and it. also, it's not 5'4", playing, all due respect, Sarah Ronnie Tennis. No. It is 5-4 and bossing Rafa Nadal. Mm-hmm. Sybil Kova Rome. tennis. Yeah. It's Sybil Kova tennis. Exactly. I mean, that's actually, what... That photo of them together is another good height receipt. It's a good one. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, that's definitely a receipt. But yeah, no, it's that. It's that like he plays so aggressively, incredible shot maker. Yeah. He's not out there just running and like, you know, using your, your speed or whatever. He's playing positive tennis. And that's where I think that it's so impressive. And again, that's why I really loved his match against Shapo. It was two players trying to be aggressive in their own way, playing positive tennis, not, you know, playing grinding, slow defensive tennis. It was great. Um, but yeah, mucho shout out to Diego Schwartzman, who I love because he gets really excited when Gabriel Sabatini tweets about him. Like he's so like, I mean, just who like, would it, though? Who would I mean, it? obviously we, I mean, what a queen. I feel like we, I, weirdly, we spent way too long on this. We were like, oh, we're not feeling this tournament at all. And now this episode's getting way too long. Next section, Dominic Team section, Dominic Team big draw loser gets uh, Marin Cilic first round. There are only six men's slam champs in this draw, and four of them are playing each other first round between Team Cilic and Favrinka Murray, which is also in this section. Team you Cilic. Hate to see it. Uh, sorry, Team opens against Cilic, then gets Opelka or Sock. Sock qualifying, Sock putting together some results and then Opelka probably there and then uh he could get Casper Rude of the recent Rome semifinals in the third round and then possibly Vavrinka Murray or Felix or Dominic Kupfer who also made a good run in Rome Dominic Kupfer out of the Billy Heiser stable this is a a rough draw for a team and I, I don't feel bad for him because he got a relatively easy draw to his first slam let's be real but not the easiest easy but he didn't play big three guys so you you know Let's see what you got here, Dominic. This section, yeah, I I don't mind the Vavrinka Murray thing. I think it's okay because I don't. Neither of them I would have picked to make deep runs here per se. Maybe maybe Stan, but honestly, not against team in that section. So I don't mind us having some first round popcorn. I'm okay with it, even yeah, if it no, is it, like it's fine. It's uh, fine. It has a bitter aftertaste popcorn with how they broke each other in 2017. Yes. No. I mean, Mutual the stories are there. The angles. The narrative of. The Murray Vavrinka uh, first round draw, um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Team draw loser. I think that it's again, it, it's kind of the cumulative effect of those matches over the course of 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 five, six, seven. That could you know leave him if he were to get to the semifinals or finals, you know, or quarters, you yeah. know, a bit depleted. Um, again, um, he was another one that today, in addition to Rafa, was kind of like these conditions are not great for me. Um, which is true because that ball is not bouncing. It's not kicking, um, which is pretty much what both their games are based off of. But also, I think I, I feel like it's kind of nice to be Dominic team at the moment because the pressure's off, right? I mean, like you oh, yeah. won your first major at the U.S. Open. You won your first major. With... You get to keep your final points regardless with this yeah. ranking system. Like he should be chilling like a villain. Just man. go play. Just go play. Like, you know, and yeah. 
Um, and 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 whatever happens happens. But uh, but yeah, no, he was definitely a draw loser. But um, I think Dominic will be just fine. I mean, draw loser, but also he's good, so he'll be okay. Like he beat Chilich in New York. I'm not like he'll he should be okay. Bottom quarter of the draw. Let's start at the top of the bottom quarter with Sasha Zverev, who avoided playing Novak in New York after the default and has to play Novak first round of the U.S. Open of French Open. Haha, joke. Dennis Novak should be fine. Uh, then gets Michael Moe or Herbert. Michael Moe qual- decent run for qualifying for some of these American men after not a very good U.S. Open for American men. Uh, some good run, some some depth guys here. Moe and Sebastian Cordas in the next section also qualified. Jack Sock, like I said. Um, good draw for Zverev, I think, here. Getting third round probably against Dimonar, uh, or maybe Chekinato, who's semifinalist t- just two years ago. And then maybe Goffin or Pear. Pear sets a positive twice recently. Again, don't need to get back into that. I think this should be another draw where Sasha should be comfortable enough to play badly and get through it. Very much the draw winner yeah. to me, Sasha Zverev. Um, yeah, My, no, I, mean, I mean Nadal. Nadal semi quarter is not. Great, no, I'm not saying draw winner but, to make to to win the title, but, but definitely a draw rounds, winner yeah. to just like you know uh, roll out the yeah. the uh, the orange carpet to make the quarters. Agreed. Um, anything less than that would be pretty shocking. Um, although that being said, like I mean, he just made a final and is recovering from that, and et cetera, et cetera. But this draw, come on, like there's just he shouldn't lose to any but any of these players before the quarters. Unless, of course, in the fourth round he faces NCR fave Benjamin Bonzi. Hashtag Bonzi for Rolly G. Do you know who I have for Rolly G? My new hashtag. Uh, I haven't seen this. I don't think who who. Shea Suwe for Raleigh G. Oh, of course. I mean, always. Bite, biting slice. It's going to stay low. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> you have me at hashtag. It's fine. Thank you. <laughs> no Thank, need you. To, Thank you. No need to I explain. Tried. I tried. I and tried. then the last section here is Rafael Nadal. Section he opened against Garasimov. Fanini in round of 16 should be interesting. We're getting there. We're getting there. Okay. Garasimov versus the Diaz or Mackenzie McDonald, Mackie McDonald. Uh, and then Nishikori, possibly third round, um, could be tricky-ish. I, on this low if low playing, I don't know, maybe 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 Nishikori can do some things hey, there. He's playing well. He's just coming back on heavy conditions. I just hope he leaves Paris healthy. You know that's not going to happen. And then <laughs> plays uh, Fanini or Isner fourth round. Obviously, famously, I've talked lots about how Isner was the biggest threat to Nadal at the French Open for the last several years. Nadal avoided playing Isner and won the French Open. I feel like I prove my point whatever happens this year is irrelevant <laughs> i mean Esther hasn't been playing well so i'm not going with that kind of bravado but i will be amused at what happens if they play each other fourth round yeah fanini should be comfortable he's a you know got short little corgi legs he should like a low ball i think he could he's beaten it all at majors at a major before and beaten him on clay before so yeah not not the best draw for for rafa in the by rafa at french open standards of inevitability and yeah, I, I that's that's the men's draw. That is the men's draw. Yeah, no, I think that you're gonna have to hit flat in order to win this title this year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll yeah. see. You can flatten out. I mean, boys will have to adjust, and I think this could be really good. Honestly, like I don't hate this whole tournament for not not title to be clear, but I really think if it plays as low and flat as we think it should. Like Diego's gotta love that, right? 
Diego beat Rafa in like a very slow, low, dead. It was Rome heavy. Night. Yeah, it was a heavy day. It was so a heavy day. like I kind of, I kind of want, I kind of want to back Diego here. I think that he's, although he's playing actually his second round against Corinthian Mute of of Shapovalov collaborator fame is uh is tricky. But anyway, yeah, that's the menstrual. We've been talking too much about this tournament. We need to get it just started. We this was like almost two hours of a draw show. This was this was out of control. This was bad. This was too much. Again, clay. It's just everything's too long. No it's one too needs long. this much. This was the attrition. It, no one needs it. I kind. This is kind of my fault because I took us on like intentional detours after we were like that's had nothing to say about the menstrual early on, and then we had a lot to say in the it's end. It's okay. But I didn't it's see okay. coming. I'm totally fine with you editing this down. It's okay. I don't take more time. I'm not gonna really edit it. People can. <laughs> People, <laughs> if you're ready, this if is the you kind care, of, you care. This is the kind of endurance test you need to get ready for Clay, this uh, draw show. But our endurance is stronger because of you all and your support for NCR. Thank you very much for supporting NCR. We have one new backer to thank uh, since we last did a show, and it's actually a GOAT-level backer, so that's very exciting. Christopher Bishop, thank you for signing on to be a GOAT-level backer there. And so we're saying your name every show. And we also thank our Slam Champ backers, Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Strong Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Leroy, Joseph Haar, Susanna W., and Antonio Maycumber. As Courtney sort of tries to do an interpretive dance to those names, I'm not really sure what that was. Um, our GOAT backers also, Mike, J-O-D, Charles Cena, and Christopher Bishop, the new one. Thank you to all of you there. And if you want to join your support, I think we're planning on doing daily shows. I'll I, I hope we can. I'm less confident this time, which is my my Mary French ennui currently. But we'll see. I think logistics and everything should be fine. There'll be stories. So an extra day, two, 15 days. Eh. We'll try to do daily shows. If you want to encourage us to do that, you can back us patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. And send us emails with encouraging notes and supports and hang in there cat memes to no challenges remaining at gmail.com. And that's about it. I, I, I hesitate to even add anything on this episode, but Courtney, what are you going to miss most about Paris? Ooh, I think it's going to be our dinners at La Parc. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a restaurant about 15 minute walk away from Roland Garros that is lovely and isn't open late. So we have to like always rush to go if, if we're going to make it. But it's a, a spot of much love for me and Ben and Carol and Reem and um, Nick and all of like anybody crew, who's worked at and the crew. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss the my favorite dish weirdly at La Park is something that it seems like I could I should be able to replicate at home, but I've never thought to. They have this sardine appetizer. It's just like a tin of sardines. Yeah. Yeah, and it's literally a plate, a white plate with a tin of sardines and a, a few small boiled like new potatoes and um a little bit of salad. And that's all that it is with the, you know, French bread and whatever. But I love it. I order it every time. It's great. It's so much better than Le Congre as a, as a dinner place. But uh, but yeah, I will, I will miss those nights because they've always been really, really fun. And shout out to the kebab place. I'm sure they're missing us of as course. well. And Chantal. And the lady Chez from, from uh, that other place who's always saying thank you. We all met her oh, once, but it was uh, 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 Britannia. Uh, yeah, the, the Relay Britannia. Yeah, yeah, the Relay Britannia. Relay Britannia. Yeah. Anyway, and and to Dolce Vita, lots of nice food memories of. Honestly, Paris. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's the same as the U.S. Open. I miss seeing my friends. I miss the adrenaline of being on site. Uh, which that's I think the challenge. As, I said at the beginning as, of the show, but like, yeah, yeah as totally. you alluded to, it, it's that, and it's something that I didn't really, I guess, anticipate 
as I looked towards covering events remotely. But like for me, for example, this has been nonstop. I mean, I've been covering nonstop tennis since Palermo into Prague, into Lexington, into Cincinnati, into New York, into, you know, Rome and now into Roland Garros. The time zones are weird. You know, it's different flying to Paris and working, you know, Paris hours compared to like waking up at 2 a.m. to live blog a match that's gonna be a struggle um, man i mean like i'm just like i am not a morning person and so i have a 5 a.m start for me and i almost almost would rather have 2 a.m but five is like it's hard i, 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 I mean know. simona's simona's media day serena was at 4 30 a.m for you oh, Ser- serena for tomorrow serena's tough tomorrow yeah. it's 10 45 paris time which is 4 45 a.m east coast 1 45 a.m yeah. west that's crazy for an american press that's nuts, well and but. it's really hard you know and, and not to like belabor the point but just to give people context you know when it comes to the type of tennis coverage you're going to see over the course of the this kind of pandemic time i mean a we're all off site b we're all working off of our own time zones which is like it's a lot hard. I mean, and I'm somebody who like adjusts time zones really easily, mm-hmm. but this has been really hard. It's not hard for me to get on Paris time, but it's hard for me to like wake up at one o'clock in the morning when it's dark outside and work from two to six in the dark. And then the sun comes up and then have to go to sleep at like whatever, like 7 p.m. Like, I mean, that's honestly, we're, record- we're recording this now. It's almost 8 p.m. East Coast, which is like 2 a.m. Paris. So like. Right, probably already like I yeah We're I already passed our I don't what we think, should be doing yeah not that we don't stay up late sometimes in Paris but it's gonna be tough it's gonna be yeah so I've said that from the, also from the daily podcast which like I don't know how it's gonna go in terms of being able to like churn yeah it, it was it's tough phys- it's tough it's already physical. during US Open I feel like there'll be less work to do in terms of writing work because I think the interest is it's not a domestic slam it's not the New well York you would have so. well but also you would have already told a lot of the stories in New York right exactly because it was the bit first big so this yeah. is like the second bite of the apple so but yeah no it's it's weirdly a physical a very physically grueling kind of time which I I don't know I, I just was not expecting that aspect of yeah, it I knew I, that it would be other things but I didn't realize how like kind of physically shattered I'd feel I only sort of it was only last night I was started thinking about like the lack of adrenaline thing like yeah. the not having that and that was like when I realized that I was like oh that makes a lot of sense actually because you're doing like similar ish amount of work not as much but sim- close enough amount of work with none of the buzz none nope. of the buzz none of the well, adrenaline and- none of like the pep and the spirit of being at a grand slam none of the grand slam magic like none of that. And, and, so, and it goes back towards yeah. like the discussion that we've had in, in past podcasts about what it's like to cover tennis during this whole period of just it takes so because we're not on site, it takes so much more mental and physical energy to stay engaged. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you're on site, like you hear everything, you feel the energy. There's always something to do, like even Other if people you around you paying attention if you're not. Exactly. There's yeah. people to talk to. Uh, if you're if you got like 90 minutes off, you go to an outer court and just sit down and just take in a match. And you just don't have that right now. So like like I was saying before, like, you know, like I had, a you know, the 430 Halep uh, press conference. And after that, it was like a two and a half hour gap. And I was just like, I just want like, should I just go back to bed and then oh, wake up? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing to do in that span. Whereas like if we were covering media day on site. You'd kind of futz around. We'd be getting you'd, cafe crowns or whatever. That, exactly. You'd go to the cafe. You'd talk to your friends. You'd get a sense of like, hey, you know, 
Yeah, I'll be like, I'll, I'll go bother Courtney for a while. Yeah, that's what exactly. I Exactly. It's just, yeah. it's just, it's so, it's, 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 yeah, it's weird. It's weird. One thing also I want to do, I'll figure this out during the French Open. One, this, I need to end this episode very soon, but um, <laughs> I want to try to do something with the prop bets that I normally do. Courtney, you've seen this happen, obviously. Yes, with, you with and Ricky. Ricky. Yeah. So we have a French Open tradition. We're going to try to replicate that for the podcast or NCR Patreon or some some level of that. Stay tuned for that. You'll see how that works as it, as it comes. Um, yeah, that's the last thing. All right. End the show now. Bye, guys. Oh, we. And to the ones I love, know that you're the reason why. I dare to live my life. I dare to liberate my mind. You're running through my veins. Make me come alive. Give me one shot, one shot of adrenaline. Adrenaline, one shot, one shot of adrenaline, adrenaline.